Next week, uh, we will be picking back up with our Through the Bible series, uh, and we will be jumping into Matthew. Uh, finally, to the New Testament, and uh, Ken will be back to, to deliver that message. This morning, I want us to spend some time in the book of Acts. Um, as I was studying Acts this past semester, uh, there were some things that really stuck out to me and challenged me uh, in my walk with the Lord. And as I had an opportunity to come and, and be with you this morning, uh, I thought, you know, it, it was such rich material uh, for me and, and enriched my life that I definitely want to spend some time sharing that uh, with you all this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, um, go ahead and, and get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 3, uh, your phones uh, oriented there, because the, the first 10 verses I'm just going to read to us. Um, and in the first 10 verses, we are seeing an interaction between Peter and John uh, and a crippled beggar. And this interaction changes the beggar's life. So this is what Acts chapter 3 says. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a, a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here we have uh, a man who is brought to the temple gate to prime real estate, to, to beg for his provision that he is unable to uh, provide for himself because of how he was born. And they put him right outside the temple gate. And as the faithful Jewish men and women are coming to the temple, they are inclined to help those in need. And so that's where he sets up day after day. He becomes very well known to the people that are coming to the temple. But one day, two men walked by. And that interaction that they had changed their life. Now, when you hear this, you may uh, think of what we experience today. Uh, and even just yesterday, it, uh, as I was uh, going back over this yesterday, I was reminded of my interaction at Sam's. Uh, yes, I was at Sam's yesterday. And as I walked, I was on my way to the, the meat section, you know, because if you're at Sam's, that's where you go, right? Uh, and a guy stepped out into the middle of the, the walkway and stuck up his fist. And I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. And he's like, hey, man, what's up? And I fist bumped him. He's like, man, what cell service do you have? And I'm like, oh, no. 
are you kidding me? Or, or maybe, maybe as you're approaching a stoplight uh, and, and you see it turn to red, you're like, oh no. And you put on your sunglasses, turn up your radio and start looking all around except at the guy or the lady on the left walking with a sign. That is what I would typically do. Or you're going into to Kroger and someone's ringing a bell or has a table set up wanting you to, to buy something or uh, uh, give to something and you pick up the phone and act as if you're on a call. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And you just keep going. I mean, that, that is kind of our situation today. That is what I find myself doing. But here, something different happens. As Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray, they see this beggar at the temple gate, and they stop. And in these 10 verses, what I observed about Peter, it it paints a portrait of who he is and how he is living his life. And I think it's worth sharing. I mean, in the first verse, we see them faithfully going about their day. Part of what they did is they went and prayed. And they're just going on about their daily lives as normal, as faithful uh, Christians living out their faith and heading to the temple to pray. But Peter is available to be interrupted. Where I was headed to the meat section and really didn't want to be interrupted because I was pretty focused. I'm like, Sunday dinner is going to be awesome. I need to get back there. Snowmageddon, man, dinner is going to be... And someone interrupted me, and I didn't want the interruption. Peter was okay with the interruption. And as the man asked for money... He made eye contact. He focused in. But not only that, he had empathy. He, he didn't just roll his eyes and go, oh, that's probably your fault, your problem. I mean, you're here all the time. I don't care. He, he stooped and he looked and he engaged this man. And as the man asked for money for his daily provision, Peter had a spiritual clarity that that wasn't his greatest need. And he took the time to engage him at that greatest need level. And what I love is, as you read that, he said, hey, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. He was expecting, believing that Jesus was going to do something, that he was able and wanted to. And I think how many times do I pray something and I don't actually expect Jesus to do a thing that I'm asking? Not that I don't think he's able. I just don't expect it. Peter, that's a pretty big expectation. Get up and walk and reaching out his hand. And not only that, as as he leapt to his feet, Peter didn't go, okay, we're good here. Have a great day. I'll pray that you continue to get better and that this just changes your life. Good day. They, he joins the crew. It's like, I've been sitting outside the temple gates. Now I get to go in with you. And he's just along for the ride, just celebrating and praising God as they go. And then what follows this that we're about ready to read is we see Peter seizing an opportunity and being clear and bold in presenting the gospel of Christ. As we continue in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, 
all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Peter, aware that people are starting to gather, that the word has gone out. This man that is a fixture right there, never walking, never moving, have at the mercy of those who would carry him and set him there, is now up and praising God and leaping and jumping and walking. And word is spread and people are gathering. They want to see the spectacular thing that has happened. And Peter says, why does this surprise you? And what he does next is he starts to orient people to where this miracle has happened. He says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over and killed him, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer uh, be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Peter says, hey, it's not me. You're coming and you're looking at us like, what is it with these two guys? It's not us. And he points all glory and all uh, recognition to Christ. And then says, let me tell you what's going on here. And you hear that you did this, you did this. Ultimately, you chose a murderer over the Messiah. You killed the author of life. But that wasn't the end. Because what you need to know is God raised him from the dead. And guess what? We are witnesses. We testify to what we have seen. We know what he has done. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given complete healing to him, as you all can see. Jesus has done something amazing. Exhibit A is the man you have come to see. Peter is pointing out the spectacular, but pointing them to the Savior. He's like, yes, this is from him. You need to know that because you're going to be called to respond. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your, father, as did the, your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying his Christ would suffer. During Advent, I taught a message on the prophets pointing to the person who would come, to Jesus. Peter is saying, hey, in our, in our book, the prophets told you what was going to happen. And it has happened. It has been fulfilled. This is who fulfilled it. Jesus, that same Jesus that you put to death, who has been raised from life, is the Messiah, the one the prophets spoke of. And you acted in ignorance. But God's purposes continued. So he calls them to respond. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped 
out that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you, yes, even Jesus. What I love is as Peter points out that this crowd was part of who crucified Jesus. Even when Jesus was meant to be released, they demanded a murderer in his place. Peter is now standing before them in the midst of this large crowd and boldly declaring the name of Jesus. Unafraid of what will happen. What we can learn from this is a church on mission looks for opportunities to proclaim the gospel clearly and boldly. Are you looking for opportunities? Are you looking for situations where there's no hope? where there's some questions out there of, hey, you know, how, how does this situation get reconciled? How do we have healing in this area? There's this hopeless and helpless situation. Are we speaking Jesus into that situation saying he is the solution? Don't medicate yourself with the worldly things. Jesus is the solution. Well, Peter's... Uh, Testimony and this whole situation garners some extra attention that uh, he probably didn't enjoy. Starting in chapter 4, we see Peter and John get arrested and questioned. The priest and the captain of the temple uh, guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So here's these two men who have this large gathering that are proclaiming Jesus, that are pointing to Jesus for the miracle of the healing. And the religious leaders come up and confront them. They are not happy. And among them are the Sadducees who don't even believe in the resurrection. So they want to confront this heresy. They, they are the ones who were part of crucifying Jesus. And now they're coming to confront Peter and John. And and they do. They seize Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. I love this. They arrest the servants of Jesus, but they couldn't, Stop the spread of his name being believed by so many people. They removed them from the crowd, but the seed that had been planted through proclaiming the gospel of Christ took root. And it said 5,000, the the number grew to 5,000. Now, there's some ambiguity to, was this 5,000 people came to Christ that day? Or that the total since the ascension of Christ has grown to 5,000? And even if one of those two, whichever of those two is true, did it count the the women and children? It may have been a lot more. Regardless of any of that, the fact remains that Jesus was spreading among the people. And people were putting their faith in him. So Peter and John get arrested. And... uh, the next day, they gather all the, the uh, religious leaders, and they bring them out for questioning. 
And the main question they have is by what power and what name did you do this? Whose authority did you have to speak, to do this miracle? What made you the ones that were able to take care of this? I love what Chuck Swindoll, sweats, Chuck Swindoll says. He says, It is noteworthy that the first question the council asked did not probe the men for truth, but challenged their authority. They didn't ask Peter and John to offer a defense of their views, to back up their preaching with scripture or factual evidence. They asked them for their resumes and credentials. Forget the miracle. Who said you could do this? Who are you to preach anything to the crowds? Do you know who we are? We're the ones that are supposed to do that. How dare you speak? And Peter has a defense. He said, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, which I love, if we're being called to account for healing this man, for seeing this man healed and completely transformed and different, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that man is, that this man stands before you healed. Here again, this bold proclamation in the face of intense opposition under arrest. Peter, who just a few books before, is shown in the last hours before Christ is crucified, in the shadows, following Jesus, being asked if he was with that guy that was being arrested, denied him three times, and now finds himself in front of those same people under arrest, knowing their beliefs don't line up with what he's about ready to proclaim. And he says, Jesus, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. That's who did this. You thought you stopped him? You didn't. You thought you killed him? God raised him. And he is still at work today. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. Peter just keeps going. And you can see that he is not worried about what is going to come from what he says. He is not worried about uh, retribution. He's not worried about punishment. He is focused on proclaiming the gospel. And his audience isn't just the religious leaders. I mean, there's people gathered all around. And so he's not just preaching to them. He wants everyone to hear what is going on. Something amazing has happened. And there are people around trying to figure out what it is and how it happened. And Peter continues to use that opportunity to say, Jesus, Jesus, you're guilty because you put him to death. But God didn't let your uh, killing him stop him 
from doing what he was sent to do. And he raised him up and he is still living and active today, still changing lives. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love this. They looked at their credentials and their resume and said, we don't get it. Aren't these fishermen? Aren't these just laborers? These, these are people that aren't schooled. They don't have an education. They don't have the pedigrees. They don't have any degrees. What is the differentiator of these men? How can they speak so eloquently? How can they speak with such authority? How can they talk and, and be so uh, persuasive of what they believe? The differentiator was they've been with Jesus. That's what stood out. They couldn't pin anything else on them that would make sense. But they're like, these men were with Jesus. And I think about that in that statement. And I wonder, would people say that about me? When they see me, when they talk to me, when they interact with me, do they go, that man has been with Jesus? Or do they say, that man needs Jesus? What about you? When you go about your day, do you think people inter interacting with you, seeing you from afar, go, hey, that man, there's something different than him. There's something different about her. I wonder what it is. I'd Maybe they're not educated. Maybe they're not school. Maybe they don't have the same credentials that I think someone should have, but there's something different about them. Maybe it's Jesus. That's the differentiator here. And this courage that Peter and John uh, displayed, and they were probably thinking, do you understand what you're saying to us? Do you know what we do to people like you? Do you know what we did to this Jesus that you're talking about? Like, how on earth are you standing here proclaiming all this with such courage? We don't know. But he's been with Jesus. But since they could not see, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Man, they don't get it. But they really can't refute it because Exhibit A is right here in the crowd, standing, praising God. Everybody knows that man, that man who had from birth been set in front of the temple gate day after day after day because he was completely and totally reliant on other people to take care of him, is now standing amongst us as one of us. And there is nothing we can say about that. And that forced the religious leaders to go, time out. Take them away. We've got to talk about this. And they're like, I don't know what to do. I mean, we can't, we can't explain that. This guy over here, we cannot explain that. It's obvious it's happened. Everybody's talking about it. And they're talking about this Jesus and his name is spreading. We have to shut it down. And we have to shut their mouths. And so they call them back. Then they call them in again and command them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. 
Go about your day. Don't talk. Don't preach. Don't teach about Jesus. Our authority over you says, be quiet. Because we are the religious scholars, and you are not. And we've got to shut this down. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter says, you're trying to use your authority over us to silence us. Let me tell you, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we, have, what we know means we can't keep our mouth shut. And your authority over us does not supersede God's authority over us. And we will not be silent. And we will not close up. A church on mission expects persecution and is unswayed when the earthly rulers challenge the Lord's authority over her life. Guys, this is coming. You see pockets of it where what is taught, what is said, what is believed is challenged by government, by our culture, by our media, over and over. And there is going to come a day where it is going to be illegal to teach certain things, believe a certain way, and to preach in a certain uh, style. And on that day, we will say, our authority comes from God, not you. And we will not be silent, and we will stand in the truth of God's word and under the banner of his authority, not this world's. But we need to be ready. We need to go in eyes wide open that persecution is coming and is seen all around the world, just not here completely yet. Well, after threatening them some more, telling them, no, we, we're serious, Serious consequences are going to happen. You be quiet. They can't do anything else but release them. And so Peter and John, upon release, head back to their community. Says now, oh, and, and when they get together with the community, what they do is they re retell the story of what just happened. And the community gathers together and they lift up their praises to God. And they pray about God's sovereignty over all things. And then they say this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What stands out and is striking to me is after Peter and John were just threatened and they understood how deep those threats go. That, in essence, they were saying, if you don't shut up, we're going to shut you up. Just like we did Jesus, although they didn't. They understood they were being threatened, that their lives could be on the line. If that missionary came back to my house and we were gathered, I would say, Lord, we pray for your safety, for your protection. Lord, for wisdom, whether they need to go back out, for wisdom, how to handle this, and just on and on and on about self-preservation and protection. But that's not what these believers prayed for. And I think those are valid prayers. But what we see here is prayers about the mission. Because just before Jesus ascended, he said, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in Judea and all of Samaria and unto the ends of the world. And they prayed that they would be part of that mission and that their boldness would not relent. In fact, they asked for an even more boldness and power that Jesus would move and do signs and wonders to validate their message. And the response, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That was a heck of a prayer service, wasn't it? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and what? Spoke the word of God boldly. What we see is the church on missions prayers reflect the mission, the spreading of the gospel. Yes, you can pray for safety. Yes, you can pray for wisdom. But pray about the gospel getting out and spreading to the ends of the earth because that is what we're called to do. And while I'm thinking about it, Tuesday night starts week one of Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. The first night's free. You guys can, if this is hitting a nerve and you're like, I want to be about the mission of God and getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I would love some more training, uh, Perspectives uh, starts Tuesday night, weather permitting, uh, and we would love for you to be part in here. And it's here at Fellowship. I believe it's 630. I'm looking for confirmation from anyone in the room. Yes, Six, at six o'clock. Thank you very much. But our prayer life should reflect the mission that we have as well and not just be for self-protection and uh, uh, self-perseverance. No, thank you. Uh, All right, so at the end of chapter four, we see the, the church gathered. We have all these new believers. They're all together. How do they live this out? And we see that they take care of one another. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Man, the last thing I want to say is, A church on missions people are a united community marked by sacrificial love. And we see this play out in our home churches, especially when someone is going through a difficult time or a joyful time like a new birth. We see home churches pulling together, providing meals, helping, assisting, and and being one together. And if you're not in a home church, I would encourage you uh, to jump into one here in January. Because we want to take care of one another, and it's marked by sacrificial love. Well, so what do we do with chapters 3 and 4? How do we put it all together? Well, the church on mission is bold in her proclamation of the gospel, courageous in persecution, missional in their prayers, and united in heart and mind. And you may look at this list and go, well, I'm some of those things, but not all of those things. That's okay. Because remember, just... A few chapters before, there was Peter denying Christ. But Jesus wasn't done with him, and he's not done with you and me. And we're a work in progress, and the Lord can forgive, and the Lord can grow us and bring us into his mission on a greater level. We just need to trust him with that. So what do we do? Here's some next steps. I'll pray through who in my life needs to hear the gospel, and then we'll share with them. Man, maybe you say, 
That is my weak spot. I've got so many people around me. I'm in so many circles where the gospel is not known. And I need to be intentional about sharing the gospel. I need boldness and courage and clarity of the gospel to share with other people. And pray for that this week. Maybe it's also, you, you, you hear like me that your prayers don't really match up to what we saw in uh, Acts chapter 4. It's not about the mission. And you're going to spend time this week praying about the spreading of the gospel in your, through your life and through those around you and globally. And, you know, since we touched on prayer a couple times, at, as soon as I'm done, under hope and love will be people that are more than willing to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. But more than anything, as the snow should come, right? Who's hoping for more than three inches? Six inches, eight inches, 12 inches, okay. Um, man, a great opportunity to spend time with Jesus this week. A little extra time. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you jump in there and, and read the, the gospel of Matthew ahead of hearing about it next week when Ken returns. Spend time with Jesus this week and see what he will do. Whatever it is, know that we want to be a church on mission. And that means each one of us has a, a role to play and a part in that. And we all have to be on mission for God's great purposes. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for your sovereign hand that uh, though people thought they had conquered you and your purposes by crucifying Christ, you raised him from the dead. Lord, to provide a way for us to know you and spend eternity with you. Father, let that not be enough. Let that good news resonate so deeply with us that we want to share that with others, that we will be part of your mission of spreading your name to the ends of the earth. For your glory, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for salvation. Amen.